our passage for this morning, Matthew 7 from verse 24. Build your house on the rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of the word. Thank you so much. Jonathan, well, good morning, everybody. I'm absolutely thrilled to be preaching here today. I always love coming here, but it's infinitely better not to be a visitor. And uh, it's an enormous joy and privilege for Margaret and me now to be part of this church family and to begin together to work to build one another up in the Lord. It's teamwork that we're involved in. And uh, we are highly delighted and so grateful to the Lord and so grateful to his people. I want to say an enormous and heartfelt thank you to you, our church family, for the colossal amount of work that went into the preparation and the execution of yesterday. So many friends uh, who were visitors to us yesterday commented on their experience, the presentation of the, the grounds and the buildings, the generosity of the stunning hospitality, the excellence of the musicians and the efficiency of the AV teams and the warmth of the welcome. And if I have missed you out, then forgive me for that. But everybody played their part and we were so grateful to God for that. Thank you for every kind word spoken and written. It has meant uh, so very much to us. And I know that it was all done as serving the Lord with joyful hearts and a tremendous team spirit. But from us, we just want to say, as I begin today, a very, very sincere thanks indeed. And we ask the Lord to continue to bless his work among us in these days. Now, this is amazing. For the first time ever, my iPad has frozen. Can you believe that? It's been working great. I'm just going to switch it off and reboot it, and we'll see what happens now. Yeah, that's better. Life's got better again. It's an extraordinary how these things happen. I have one more trip with CEM that was already in the diary, um, and I didn't want to wait until after that, until I started here. So I've got one more trip to do with them later in this month. You'll be ready for a break of me for, uh, by, by then in a couple of weeks' time. You'll be glad to have Jonathan back, and we are very thankful for our brother's ministry here. But today and next Sunday, I want to give us a chance to get to know one another in this setting um, insofar as, yeah, just to give you a chance to get to used, used to me like this, insofar as anybody can ever get used to me. But my, my plan is to begin a series in 1 Peter uh, from Sunday the 8th of October. I'm so excited to be able to look ahead to that in the Lord's will and planning and praying towards that. But for these two Sundays, today and next week, we're going to turn to two sections of Matthew's gospel that have massively impressed themselves upon me in the run-up to, 
today. As I was thinking about taking up this work again, and as I was thinking about us together as a church family. Next Sunday, uh, Lord willing, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 24 and glimpse what it is we're heading for, what we're heading for. But today we're turning to that passage Jonathan read for us, Matthew 7, and we're going to see right at the end of this famous section of the Lord Jesus preaching, we're going to be thinking about what we're building on. So in two weeks' time, what we're, or a week's time, what we're heading for this morning, what we're building on. Now, this is such a well-known passage. I guess we've all heard it many, many times before. But I was freshly struck by the eternal relevance of what Jesus says here. And it seemed to me to be a helpful way for us to set out together in this new phase of life and service. So a couple of things for us to notice this morning. First of all, the picture Jesus paints, and then the point that Jesus makes. So let's just think about these together. First of all, it'd be great to have your Bibles open. I see many of you do, but on your phone or your iPad or, or an actual Bible, great. The, the picture Jesus paints. And as we look at it, we see, first of all, the houses. Meg and I have spent a fair bit of time looking at houses recently, uh, as you can well imagine. Hopefully that has now come to an end, and we're delighted to uh, be able to say that, Lord willing, uh, that's come to an end. But we're all going to be looking at houses this morning in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus introduces us to two contrasting house designs and their respective builders. They appear, as you'll see there in verse 24 and verse 26. But the Lord Jesus doesn't leave us long admiring these houses. He closes into the drama of this text. He tells us that the first builder is said to be wise and the second builder is said to be a fool, though it might have taken some time for his folly to become apparent. They each built a house, one built on rock. And you can just imagine, uh, for anyone listening to Jesus back in the day as he spoke these words, and Jesus is speaking to them about someone who built on rock, that must have implied a huge amount of time and effort to do that. The other builder built on sand and saved himself a lot of time and hassle. I don't want my imagination sanctified or otherwise to run away with me because what Jesus says is so vivid here in this text. But in real life, if this was a contemporary scene, the guy who built on sand would have been job done, deck chair out, toes up, drink in his hand, barbecue smelling great, when his neighbor's house wasn't even out of the ground, if you know that phrase from Grand Designs. I don't know if you watch Grand Designs, Kevin MacLeod. I, I think Kevin MacLeod's a great guy in many ways, but some poor soul's out in the middle of a field digging with a spade because the JCB has packed in and he's spent all his money. And Kevin's come back for his six-month visit and he comes with a hard hat and a hard heart. And he says, you're not even out of the ground. You know, and the poor guy can do no more. And my heart breaks for them. Sorry if you're watching, Kevin. But <laughs> this guy would not even have been out of the ground when the other guy's house on the sand was finished. And that's what I meant by it not being immediately apparent who's wise and who's foolish. It's difficult enough blasting or drilling through rock these days with all that we have at our disposal in the building industry. How much more difficult would that be back in the first century? The guy on the rock might have looked pretty idiotic for a season in comparison to his neighbor who'd completed his lovely house and nailed up the name Sandylands over the front door. 
It might have looked great. It might have looked solid, very comfortable, very promising when Rock Boy is still up there living in a caravan on site. Who's the fool? It takes a while for our lifestyles to show whether we've been wise or foolish. It's not immediately apparent. It's not apparent in the first few decades or even in midlife. But sooner or later, reality brings to light whether we've been wise in life or whether we've been fools in life. And it's complicated before then. Lots of people who ultimately found, are found to be fools made themselves look pretty wise, pretty shrewd for all of their lives. And equally, those who in the end proved to be tremendously wise, they themselves were often pitied and looked like morons in the course of life. It takes a while for our lifestyles to establish themselves. So the houses. And then the other aspect of the picture Jesus paints is the crisis. There are such careful parallels in the way that Jesus tells this little story. As you look at it, verse 24, we have the wise builder on the rock. Verse 26, we have the daft builder on the sand. Verse 25, the storm hits the house on the rock. Verse 27, the storm hits the house on the sand. So now in this word picture that Jesus paints for us that is so familiar to us, we have two builders, two foundations, two finished houses, and one almighty crisis, the storm that exposes instantly the relative wisdom and folly of the builders. Let's begin by reading the words of Jesus down in verse 27, the chap on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I'm so grateful to Jonathan for leading us in prayer for Morocco and Libya this morning. We've seen, haven't we, this, this week, horrific images of the forces of nature carrying all before them in, in, in Derna, in, in, in Libya. Homes and bridges and apartment buildings and places of work and vehicles and between 10 and 20,000 people swept out to sea or under the mud. It's heartrending to see the pictures on our TV screens. It's incalculable. Homes reduced to fragments. And the shattered look in the faces of those who have survived, whose earthly hopes have been swept away. And I, I mentioned Libya this morning only in terms of the, the power of Storm Daniel, that catastrophic breach in the dams. I'm not casting any aspersions on the on the, 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 the building practices there. I, I really don't know anything about them. They may have been perfectly adequate. They may have been first world excellent buildings. But one thing is clear. No matter how well these communities were built, no matter how well that city of Derna was built, no one anticipated the power of the torrent that came and brought such devastation. And without in any way wanting to appear opportunistic by just using this illustration today, that terrifying, tragic reality that we've seen on our screens, that's the picture Jesus paints here in verse 27. When he says it fell and great was the fall of it, think Derna. Think Libya. 
in September of 2023. And of course, we know that Jesus isn't just speaking physically, he's speaking metaphorically, and there will be many storms that come upon us in life. And we need to be able to withstand these storms, and he's telling us how. But beyond these days, and we've been singing about it already this morning, there is a day coming when everyone who ever has lived will stand before the Lord Jesus. And on that day, the foundations of our life will be exposed, if never before. And it will be immediately apparent then who was wise and who was foolish. And it's the day, as we sang about it, when he will still the storms forever. That's why he's coming back. But his coming will be storm-like. And the wonderful thing is that we don't need to live in dread of that day. Nobody needs to live in dread of that day when Jesus will come again. There is a way to live. There is another way to build. So have a look at verse 25. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. But the first house on the rock, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Do you know, these four words leapt out of the page to me. It was actually, they leapt off my phone screen on the 27th of June. I was on an early morning flight down to London for one of the last days with my colleagues at CEM, I was reading my daily Bible readings on, the, on my phone and on the plane. And it was that season for us when we were beginning mentally to transition from the life and work we knew to this new life and work here among you at, uh, at Hamilton. And that, that morning, I knew that Matthew 7 was my readings. And I must have read that, I don't know, countless times in my life over the years. And yet this struck me with great force. That final phrase, founded on the rock, I was captivated by that phrase. Because it's what I desperately want my ministry to be all about here. Not for a minute do I think that this is anything new for you at HBC. Not for a minute do I think I'm arriving here and saying, finally, you're now going to be built on the rock. Don't mishear that, not for a second. I believe with all my heart that this is a church family already well-founded on the rock, and I'm so thankful to God for that. But as I take up my life and work here among you, I just want you to know this expresses perfectly what I long for us. This is the experience I want for us, every one of us, young and older, in our church family. This is what I long for. I want to take that phrase, founded on the rock, and the truth of that lived experience that Jesus represents as he offers it to people here, and make it core to everything we are and everything we do at HBC. We want to be founded on the rock, not foundered Not floundering, but founded, meaning grounded, anchored, secured, established, safe, bomb-proof, storm-proof. It's inevitable that the floods and the winds and the storms will come, that we'll walk these roads together. And these things are no respecter of persons. They come into all our lives. But the Lord Jesus is telling us here that there is a way to come through all the storms 
And when they have passed, to find that we were ultimately unaffected. There is a way to live like that. And this is the way to be ready for that ultimate day when we stand before the Lord. Isn't this phenomenal? This is such good news for us. That there is a rock to build your life. As I look at your faces this morning, there's a rock to build your life on personally. And there's a rock to build our life on corporately as a church family. And I don't know about you, but when I think about it, when I see the TV screens, when I read this passage, when I think about beginning this new episode in in, in my own life and ministry, I want to build, I don't want to build on a floodplain. I don't want to build on the sand. I want to know afresh how to be founded on the rock. And even if you've heard this a million times, and you probably have, and you might have taught it to the children a thousand times, let's think it through freshly this morning as a church family. So there's the picture Jesus paints. Secondly, the point that Jesus makes. He's obviously teaching the crowds about their response to his teaching. That's that's what's going on in this text. And the context is the Lord Jesus preaching to vast crowds in the open air on the Mount of Olives. And we're concentrating today on the way that the Lord Jesus concludes that famous season of his ministry. And we've already seen the contrast that Jesus draws here between the wise and the foolish, uh, between the rock and the sand, between the house that stands and the house that falls. But much as I want us to see these contrasts, I also want us to notice this morning, right at the core of this well-known illustration, there is a contrast that we do not find, and we must understand this, We do not find the contrast between those who listen to what Jesus says and those who don't listen to what Jesus says. That is nowhere in this text. Rather, it is between those who, having heard his word, take it to heart, take it to life, and those who, having heard his word, fail to take it to heart and fail to take it to life. It's important to see that, isn't it? The Lord Jesus isn't talking about those who don't believe in him and never listen to him. He's not saying they're the ones who are building on the sand. Undoubtedly, they are building on sand, undoubtedly. But that's not his point here. No, the Lord Jesus is looking at and speaking to those who had invested their time and attention to hear what he had to say as he preached. So verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. I want us to notice that the wise and the foolish, both groups heard his word. Both groups heard his word. So Jesus is addressing people like us in this room this morning. He's addressing people like us watching online. And I'm so grateful that the Lord Jesus in his wisdom gave us both sides of this illustration to make crystal clear what is at stake even when we have heard his word. I think if the Lord Jesus had only stated this positively in the way that he does in verse 24 and 25 and encouraged people to build on the rock, then then they and we would have been inclined to think that we're all in the picture and 
reading his word for ourselves and coming to hear his word taught and going on a, a Wednesday night to growth groups to, to talk about it together is the equivalent of doing his word and being wise and building on the rock. Just, just hearing it. It's only when we see the negative of verse 26 to 27 that we realize, I think, and maybe it struck me afresh and maybe it will strike you afresh this morning, how easy it is to be like the foolish man building on sand and remaining completely ill-equipped for the gathering storms of life. It's terrifyingly easy to be foolish. It requires no effort at all, even when you're hearing the word, even when you're here, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And I suppose that reaction of either wisdom or folly after hearing the word of Christ, that has been happening in this building for about 140 years, if my calculations are right. I need to brush up in my history, but I think it's about 140 years. Now, it doesn't look like that. And on any given Sunday in the past nearly century and a half, it wouldn't look like that. But as the Word of God has been opened and read and expounded here, week by week, those who gathered could hear what Jesus calls these words of mine. Not mine, these words of mine, his words. Everyone present would have heard his word over these 140 years. They may not all have understood everything that was being said. They may not have agreed with every emphasis. But the whole aim of this meeting at HBC on Sundays in the past and now and God willing always is to hear the word of God to us. That's, all, that's always been the history here. And every time that has happened in the past 140 years and every time it happens today, what follows among those who've heard it is either wisdom or folly. What follows is life's either being built on the rock or life's being built on the sand. Some receive the word of God into their lives and apply it and are changed by it. Others, perhaps, may even believe that it is the word of God, may love hearing the word of God, may have very wise and helpful incisive comments to make about the word of God, may want to bend the preacher's ear about a few things he could have done better when they're shaking hands at the door, all of that, but actually, having heard it, don't receive it into their lives. It doesn't go that step of becoming an actual lamp to their actual feet and an actual light to their actual path. It never travels from Sunday morning to Sunday evening, far less Monday morning or the days of the week. Now, that's the big point that Jesus is making. And he's making it in context to those who had made the time to hear him. To spend time standing in the open air, listening to his word. Now, you know, and I know, that the hearing of God's word is absolutely critical. It is indispensable. And we hear it not only in this setting, but we hear it as we read it for ourselves. He speaks to us from his word as we read it personally and as we discuss it in our groups and as we come formally like this, that whoever is opening the word, whoever has that responsibility on the Sunday morning to the assembly of the Lord's people, we, we hear his 
word like that. That's how, the, that's how he speaks. I'll say more about that in just a moment. And, and God willing, over the years, I'll say more about that. It's absolutely indispensable that that's happening. But do you see from this text that hearing the word alone is not what puts you on the rock with an indestructible foundation? That's what struck me afresh. For that to happen, the word that we've heard has to go to work in us and has to go to work on us. And we can see, can't we, how easy it would be to miss this. To think that we're wise builders on the rock by reading the word for ourselves and hearing it preached. And that is, as I say, utterly indispensable. But if it stops there, if we're not doing anything with it, if we're not thinking about how it's meant to change us, then the danger is that even having heard the word of Christ, as these people did in Matthew 7, we build on sand. And can I tell you, if that's an easy mistake for those who listen to the word being preached, if that's an easy mistake for you to make, can you imagine how much subtler still would be the temptation for those of us who preach, having worked on the word all week, having boxed it around and laid it out and done our grammatical work and done our structural work and prepared something to be able to bring to unfold in the Lord's day. Can you imagine how desperately easy it would be for those of us who preach, having done all that word work and having stood and preached it and having shaken hands with everybody and talked over coffee, to imagine then that I've applied it. To imagine then that I'm building on the rock without actually taking it into my own heart and life. Letting it be the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. Letting it shape the way I think and the way I behave. I think it's very striking the possibility that the preacher could be helping others to build on the rock while building on sand himself. So it's not just the listeners who find this challenging. So can we see this hearing but not doing is a colossal danger for us all? What are we going to do? Well, let's stay with the point Jesus makes. I'm wrapping this up now, but let's ask two further questions very briefly. Number one, how can we hear God speak? Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Always when I'm preparing, and especially now that I have the joy of going back into a settled ministry, not a different place every week. But when I think about preparing to come and open God's word here, always when I'm preparing, I'm thinking about the church family. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you during the week. I'm thinking about your lives. I'm thinking about how what the Lord has shown me from his word as I try to unfold that on the Lord's day, I'm thinking about what that's going to be like for you. How's that going to land in your life? I'm thinking about that. I want you to know that. This is, this is a two-way communication in that respect. I'm trying to work out how you will think about this. And this week, as I thought about it, I considered that there might be someone who very wisely gets to this point 
and says, well, how can we hear God speak? It's so important that we hear his voice in order that we can do it and build on the rock. But how can we hear his voice? Those who heard Jesus say, everyone then who hears these words of mine, they actually heard these words of his. They actually heard his voice. They'd been listening to him preach. That can't apply to us. We're not going to physically hear the voice, the physical voice of the Lord Jesus. So how can we build on the rock? How can we hear his voice? It's a great question. And the answer is amazing. The answer is that you don't actually need to physically be in the presence of the Lord Jesus and physically hear his voice. The answer is that he has given us his word in the Bible. The word of God is not just the direct speech that came from the lips of the Lord Jesus recorded in the four Gospels. It certainly is that. But the word of God is the entire biblical library from Genesis to Revelation. I wonder, do you remember? You don't have to turn to it, but it might be good if you did to Luke 24. Very easy to find. Matthew 7, chop through Mark into the end of Luke. Luke 24, verse 27. The two disciples walking disconsolately to Emmaus after they had seen the Lord Jesus crucified. They didn't know that he'd been raised from the dead. And Jesus drew near and walked with them. And we read there in Luke 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. Moses, the prophets, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then later, Luke records them saying in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? the Old Testament. That's all there was at that time. And then when Jesus had breakfast on the beach with his disciples later on in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel, verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That means this morning, how do we hear Jesus speak? That means you will hear what Jesus has to say to you in all of the Old Testament when we study it together and in all of the New Testament where the apostles and the writers wrote with the express authority of the Lord Jesus himself. And I join a long line of former pastors and elders and leaders and members and a current group of elders and leaders and members and friends who want nothing more than that we should hear these words of the Lord Jesus week by week and day by day and build our lives upon them. And I want you to know that this is my ultimate aim and effort. Pray for the preachers that you will not be aware of our words and thoughts but that we will so handle the word of God that our deep and lasting conviction as a church family, every one of us, will be that as we gather, the Lord meets with us. And he meets with us here and he speaks to us here. And these words of mine, as Jesus says them in Matthew 7, are what we hear. It's not a new thing for HBC. But that's the longing of my heart. And you think about what it's going to be like 
to have me regularly opening the Word of God for you, it might be helpful for you to know that my efforts in preparation and preaching are all to that end. That you forget me and that you hear the Lord Jesus so that we can build on the rock and do what he says. I can only speak for myself, but I'm certain this is true of all, us, all of us who have the privilege of preaching here. That whatever you make of our preaching, I'll speak for myself, I will never try to be personally impressive. I will never try to be profound. I'm not going to sit and chew a pencil through there in my office try to, I need something profound for Sunday. I don't think like that. I actually don't even want to be long-winded. I know I can be, but I'm not, I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to do any of these things. I, I, don't want, I don't want there to be any perceived gap between what's in my head and what's in your head. I pray that the Lord will close that gap and that together we will just be so conscious of Him speaking from His Word. That's the outcome I'm aiming at. That we as a church family, over time, will have the same experience of the two in the Emmaus Road. That we'll have the best kind of heartburn. That all the Gaviscon in the world can't put out that fire. And nor do we want it to. As He talks with us. On the road. As He opens the Scriptures to us. Or as was put here in Matthew 7 in our passage in verse 28. That when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he's teaching them as one who had authority. And there are the scribes. Authority is rarely trusted in our culture and sometimes for good reason. We're all too familiar with the dreadful impact in people's lives of authority being abused. Including spiritual authority. So I want to assure you. I'm very aware of the, the, the potential authority that could be in the hands of anyone entrusted with a role and responsibilities like mine. I'm very aware of that. And only the Lord can authenticate to your heart what I say to you now. I have no interest in bringing anyone under my personal authority. I have no interest in telling you my bright ideas. I have no interest really in influencing you about any thoughts that are by nature in my head. I don't want us to come under any authority or influence other than that of the Lord Jesus because we will flourish under his authority. The answer to bad authority is not no authority. The answer to bad authority is the right authority. And we'll flourish there. The scribes had a certain authority back in the day, but they only passed on what they'd heard from other human teachers. So it was gutless and largely pointless. But when the crowds heard Jesus, he wasn't like that. He spoke with an infinite knowledge of everything and everyone. He spoke with self-sacrificial love. We're in Matthew 7. He then will go and lay down his life on the cross for the people to whom he's speaking. He hit every nail on the head and they knew it. And we want that to be our experience. So I have no personal agenda for HBC other than that together we would hear and know and love and follow our pastor's voice. The Lord is our pastor. Pastor shepherd, it's exactly the same word. And so to build on the rock. You've been used to being fed and taught from the word. That will continue, God willing. I have nothing else to offer. And I don't think you have anything else that you desire. 
So that's how we'll hear the word of God as we, as we plow through it together. Then very briefly, how can we do his word? That's the key thing as we've seen. It's taking this word into our hearts and lives, seeing the way we think and react and conduct ourselves change, seeing that change. That's how we build on the rock. And I think the way we do that is by having not only a culture in HBC of hearing the word preached, but a culture of thinking and talking together and praying with one another about how we work the word into our lives. At the moment, we only have one main teaching meeting a week on a Sunday morning, but we have opportunity to go to the growth groups twice a month and to break down what is preached and to talk about how we're applying it. So let's be, let me encourage you, if you're able to, to get along to a growth group, you would be made very welcome and you would have a great time. And can I also, as I close now, and this really is me closing now, can I, can I ask something else of you as we... As we draw this to a conclusion. We depend on your prayers, whoever's preaching as we're preparing to open the word. But maybe you do this already, but maybe you would get into the habit of making some time a convenient point to you on a Saturday to set alone five minutes and to set yourself up for a Sunday. Saturday morning, afternoon, evening, whenever, doesn't matter, but just find a time that's good for you. Maybe um, set an alarm on your phone to remind yourself, or maybe we can ping something out on the church app, I don't know. But get five minutes and ask the Lord to help whoever is preaching in their final moments of preparation and tell the Lord that you don't want to build your house on the sand, but on the rock. And ask him to prepare your heart and mind for the next day to hear him speak to you, to show you how to do his word in your life. Would you do the Saturday setup? Five minutes. You and the Lord to grow an expectation that you're not only going to hear, but you, He's going to help you by the Holy Spirit to do His Word. And then later on Sunday, and you're thinking, oh, He not only wants five minutes on a Saturday, He wants five minutes on a Sunday. Well, later on a Sunday, would you pray again and would you thank God that He's a God who speaks? And would you ask him to help you apply his word, to gather the seed that was sown, as it were, that none of it be lost, and let it take root in your heart. And ask the Lord to help you do that. If you do that, he will do it. Some days you will come here, perhaps many days you will come here, and there will be nothing of immediate, direct application to your life. But I commend to you the Saturday setup and the Sunday seed time, if that's not too corny. Because even if there's nothing that appears to be directly relevant to you, God the Holy Spirit, if we are eager to hear his word, if we are expectant, if we want him to work, if we want to build on the rock, by the power of his Holy Spirit, even when we don't realize what his word is doing in our lives, he will shape us. And he will bring to us as a church family astonishment at his voice. Heart-burning joy as we hear and do his word. As we build wisely on the rock. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the way that he spoke so winsomely and so 
convincingly into the lives of people on this planet 2,000 years ago. And we thank you for our expectation, Lord Jesus, that you will still do that today. That through the frailty of human preachers opening your word, determined to live under its authority, determined not to have their own agenda, but your agenda advanced among us. You will come by the power of your spirit and open our eyes that we together will see wondrous things out of your law. We praise you for that. Thank you that there is a way to build on rock. Thank you there is a way not to fear the storms of life or the ultimate day when we stand before you. Thank you so much for this rock who is Christ Jesus. Would you help us to develop a culture not only of hearing your word, but of doing your word. That we might be those who have the help of your Holy Spirit and that wisdom of being founder on the rock. We ask it for the glory of your name. Amen.